The town I call home isn't known to many. Buried in obscurity, it's off the beaten path, snuggled up against a sprawling national park. Every summer, hikers flow in like a tide, their enthusiastic chatter filling the silence we're accustomed to. This year, however, summer came with an unexpected twist. One of those hikers, a young woman named Rachel, had vanished into the labyrinth of trees and trails. As a longtime local, I felt duty-bound to join the search party. We gathered at the park's entrance in the gloaming, fifty of us under the watchful eye of the police sergeant. His grave voice echoed through the still air as he briefed us on Rachel. He painted a quick yet poignant picture of a woman who merely wanted to savor the beauty of nature, but hadn't returned. An uneasy silence enveloped us as he finished. The quiet was broken as we split into smaller groups, each taking a different path into the wilderness. I teamed up with four others, deciding to venture down one of the park's lesser-known trails. The usually inviting path now seemed ominous, the towering trees casting long shadows that danced and flickered in the dim light. We ventured forth, calling out for Rachel, the echoes of our voices swallowed by the vast expanse of woods. Every hoot of an owl or rustle of leaves caused our hearts to skip a beat. An hour into the search, Sam, a ruggedly built man with a stern face, called us over. He had discovered a crumpled photograph partially buried in the earth. Wiping the dirt off, we saw Rachel, her smile radiant even in the grainy image, standing next to a man we didn't recognize. The snapshot of their happier times felt so out of place here, in the midst of our desperate search. Did the family ever mention a boyfriend? Mary, a petite woman with sharp eyes, asked, breaking the silence. We all shook our heads, sharing confused glances. A chill ran down my spine. Who was this man? Could he be missing too? Or worse, could he be involved in Rachel's disappearance? Sam tried to radio this new finding in, but there was no response. We all stared at each other in silent dread, our unease growing. The tranquility of the woods now felt eerie, the unknown man's face adding another layer of mystery to Rachel's disappearance. Our scattered group now had a mission that seemed more daunting than before. I stood there, holding the photograph, the faces of Rachel and the unknown man imprinted in my mind. The wind rustled the leaves above, whispering ominous secrets. We were at the brink of a mystery that ran deeper than the mere disappearance of a hiker. Unknowingly, we had stepped into a story that was about to become our own, and I, Mike, had no idea about the darkness we were about to uncover. Little did we know, the true horror was yet to come. After the eerie silence and our failed attempts to contact the base, we split up again, a newfound sense of urgency propelling us deeper into the forest. I chose a trail that veered away from the others, a barely visible path that slithered into the heart of the woods. The growing darkness was punctuated only by the occasional bird call and the rustling of leaves underfoot. The weight of solitude pressed down on me, but I kept moving, determined to find Rachel. Barely an hour into my solitary trek, my foot snagged on something and sent me sprawling. The abrupt stop startled a deer nearby, its startled flight echoing my racing heart. Picking myself up, I looked down and froze. There, half buried in the dirt and leaves, was a boot, speckled with dark, drying blood. It was a woman's boot, eerily similar to the one Rachel was wearing in the photo. My heart pounded in my chest like a drum, my breath coming in short gasps. I reached for my radio, desperation clawing at my throat, but static was the only response. Isolated and cut off from my group, the reality of the situation struck me like a lightning bolt. Was Rachel injured? Or worse, was she? I shook the morbid thoughts from my head, forcing myself to focus. Kneeling, I marked the spot with a circle of twigs, hoping it would help others locate it later. My hands trembled as I rose, the eerie silence of the woods now amplified by the gruesome discovery. Parched and with my heart pounding, I took a long swig from my water bottle, the cool liquid doing little to quell my rising fear. My instincts screamed at me to turn back, to rejoin the others, but I knew I couldn't. I had a trail now, a trail that might lead me to Rachel. Gathering my wits, I ventured forth, scanning the environment for any signs. A silent prayer hung in my throat as I ventured deeper into the wilderness. As I continued, I spotted something that made my heart lurch. Splotches of blood, 
scattered across the leaves and tree trunks ahead. The sight was horrifying, yet hopeful. They could be breadcrumbs, a trail left by Rachel for us to follow. Clinging to that tiny thread of hope, I tried to radio this in, but the static buzzed mockingly in return. Undeterred, I pressed on, my legs pumping and heart pounding in my chest. I raced along the trail, calling Rachel's name, the echo bouncing off the trees. The bloody splotches guided me, a gruesome path into the unknown. As I ran, the chilling silence of the woods was replaced by the thunderous pounding in my chest. My mind raced, thoughts spiraling into horrifying scenarios of what could have happened to Rachel. The forest was no longer just a forest. It had become a horrifying maze of uncertainty and fear. Every tree, every shadow felt ominous. But I had to keep going, had to find Rachel. I had to brave the unknown that lay ahead, unaware of the chilling discovery that awaited me. The blood trail led me further off the beaten path until I arrived at a cliff. My heart pounded like a jackhammer as the gruesome scene unfolded before me. The clearing at the cliff edge was smeared with a significant amount of blood, fresh and coagulated, contrasting starkly against the green foliage. Drag marks through the blood-soaked soil led directly towards the edge of the cliff. My breath hitched in my throat as I dared to peer over the edge. At the bottom, sprawled haphazardly, was a body. I recoiled, a surge of nausea overtaking me. The sight was too gruesome, too real. I retched, the taste of bile mixing with the sour fear in my mouth. A cold sweat broke across my forehead as the reality of the situation sunk in. Rachel, collecting myself, I forced my gaze back to the tragic sight, the bitter sting of regret filling me. She had come here for a pleasant hike, a bit of adventure and peace, but this forest, this cliff, had been her downfall. The silence of the woods seemed to mock me, a grim reminder of my helplessness. And then, a chilling sound interrupted my grim thoughts. The crunching of a tree branch, unnaturally loud in the stillness, made me whirl around. The sight that met my eyes froze me in my tracks. Emerging from the trees was a creature that seemed to have been birthed by the darkest recesses of my nightmares. It stood almost seven feet tall, a grotesque amalgamation of bones and shadows. It sported antlers on its head, sharp as knives, and the chilling sight was accentuated by fresh blood dripping from its gaping mouth. My heart hammered against my ribcage, the blood in my veins turning to ice. I stepped back, my eyes locked onto the monstrosity. As the creature advanced, its movements unhurried and predatory. A part of my mind registered that it wasn't human. It couldn't be. My back hit the rough bark of a tree and I realized I had nowhere to go. Panic set in, my breath coming in short, ragged gasps. I was alone with a monster, the body of a woman I'd tried to find lying lifelessly at the bottom of the cliff. I had come here with the hope of finding Rachel alive, of bringing her back safely. But now, I was standing at the brink of my own oblivion. The search for a missing hiker had plunged me into a nightmare, and I was beginning to understand that this forest hid secrets far darker than I could ever imagine. Little did I know, the terror was far from over. The true fear was only just beginning. The creature, seemingly alerted by the approaching voices, halted its advance, its crimson eyes darting in the direction of the noise. A flicker of recognition, or perhaps caution, sparked in its gaze. To my sheer relief, it backed away, disappearing into the shadows from which it had emerged, leaving me trembling in its wake. Moments later, Sam, a fellow searcher, stumbled upon the clearing, out of breath and worried. His eyes widened at my pale, sweat-soaked face, concern knitting his brows together. I was too shaken to form coherent sentences, only pointing towards the cliff, the words trapped in my throat. He followed my gaze and faltered, his face draining of color at the sight of the gruesome spectacle below. The distressing sight triggered his own bout of nausea. Once he recovered, I managed to share my horrifying encounter with the creature. His face morphed from disbelief to dread as he tried to wrap his head around my account. I could tell he was wrestling with the fact that our search for a missing person had unearthed a chilling truth. There was a monstrous creature in these woods, a predator that wasn't of this world. The search was promptly called off, the grim discovery forcing us to inform the police sergeant and return to the entrance of the park. The feeling of failure hung heavy as we gathered, the haunting image of Rachel's lifeless body casting a shadow over our somber faces. The sergeant listened to our account, 
his expression hardening with each passing minute. He informed us that Rachel's family had no idea about the man in the photograph, leaving us with yet another chilling mystery to ponder. Word spread, and the authorities were alerted about the potential threat in the woods, transforming the search for a missing hiker into a manhunt for an unseen menace. While everyone else seemed focused on finding the unidentified man, I couldn't shake off the image of the creature from my mind. It had seen me, had stalked me, and there was no telling what it might do next. That night, I struggled to sleep, the images from the day replaying in my mind like a nightmarish film reel. When I did drift off, my dreams were plagued by antlers, blood, and menacing crimson eyes. The terror of the forest had invaded my reality, casting a shadow over my previously peaceful life. Unbeknownst to me, the creature had marked me, an unseen thread binding us in a sinister dance of fear. The realization of this would come with the dawn, a grim reminder of the monster lurking in the woods. Little did I know the nightmare was far from over. It was only just beginning. My sleep, filled with nightmares of crimson eyes and gruesome blood trails, was interrupted by the crowing of a rooster, and I groggily rose from my bed. Rubbing the sleep from my eyes, I stumbled towards the bathroom, my mind still foggy with the remnants of my dreams. As I splashed cold water on my face, I couldn't help but hope that the harsh reality of yesterday was merely a figment of my imagination. I shuffled towards the kitchen, intending to brew a strong cup of coffee to chase away the cobwebs of sleep. As I passed my living room window, something caught my eye, a sight that caused my heart to lurch painfully in my chest. A large, bloody handprint smeared my window pane, fresh blood dripping down the glass. My blood turned to ice as I recognized it. It was uncannily similar to the one I had seen on the creature in the forest. A cold sense of dread washed over me, my body trembling as I backed away from the horrifying sight. The monster from the forest had marked my home, a chilling indication that it knew where I lived, that it had been here. The reality of the situation sent a wave of terror crashing over me. I was no longer safe, not even in my own home. The creature was hunting me. The horrifying realization hit me like a punch in the gut. I spent the rest of the day in a state of heightened alertness, every sound setting me on edge, every shadow causing my heart to race. As night fell, the terror only deepened. I could not shake off the feeling of being watched, of being hunted, the bloody handprint serving as a morbid reminder of the lurking danger. As I lay in bed, sleep evading me, the eerie silence of the night was punctuated by a low, guttural growl echoing from the depths of the forest. My heart pounded in my chest as the sound reverberated through the silence, a chilling promise of the terror that was yet to come. The creature had found me, its bloody handprint a terrifying symbol of its deadly intent. As I clutched my blanket, my eyes wide open in the darkness, I realized my life had taken a turn into a nightmarish reality. The search for a missing hiker had led me into the crosshairs of a monstrous creature. Now, I was the prey, hunted by an entity that belonged more in horror films than in the calm, rural town where I resided. The haunting growl echoed through the night again, closer this time, a bone-chilling soundtrack to my new reality. The terror was real, and it was waiting for me just beyond the safety of my home. The realization marked a horrifying end to a day that had started with the hope of finding a missing person and ended with the promise of a terrifying hunt. Fear kept me awake throughout the night as I waited for dawn, for some respite from the terror. But deep down, I knew that as long as the creature roamed the woods, the dawn could bring no relief. As long as the creature hunted me, there would be no end to this terror. My name is not important, for I do not exist. My entire life, such as my name, age, and mere existence, has been legally removed from all documentation on Earth. My family is dead, and I have accepted that. I was sworn into secrecy under threat of potential termination of life. However, I have finally cracked. There exists a facility in Antarctica called Apnus Nova. It is the best-kept secret on Earth as far as I have recognized it, but I'm here to share with you what it is about. The facility itself is kept on the far east side of Antarctica. It is held inside of a mountain. To start off, I'm going to explain to you how I came to know about this place, and why I was the only survivor of my expedition to Antarctica. When I was 28, 
I was sent on an expedition to the cold wastelands of Antarctica to investigate a subglacial lake. A subglacial lake is a body of water that exists under the ice for anyone asking. They had detected heavy seismic activity underneath the ice layer, and they needed people like me, a geologist, to figure out what was happening down there. The payout was massive. It was hard to turn a blind eye. I was set to go via plane to the frigid area to begin drilling into the ice, and then subsurface excavation was to be pursued. And that's exactly how things went for the first five days of the three-week expedition. It was so cold, though, I can't even begin to explain how bad it was there. Each breath felt winding. It was like my lungs were slowly turning to ice, and each step felt like needles were piercing every layer of skin on my legs. Even in five layers of clothing and protective gear, I still felt terrible. Insomnia was slowly creeping in as well. I couldn't get a good night's sleep if my life depended on it. Finally, on the sixth day, we got word that we had penetrated the layer of ice and were now able to start the descent down. I should note that the hole we had dug was 2.4 kilometers deep. It would take around 40 minutes to even an hour to make the full descent. So when I boarded the escalator to go down into darkness, I knew that if this thing failed, I was gone. The first ten minutes were fine, of course. I heard the creaking of metal and the ice beds shift as the escalator grazed the cold permafrost. That, of course, made me anxious, but there were three geologists with me that reassured me that I wasn't alone. Their names? Well, I actually forget because of the events that occurred. I faintly remember one of them having a name starting with an A and ending with an N, maybe. Aiden? I don't know, but it's neither important nor relevant. When 30 minutes had passed, the cold was becoming torture. I felt my body cramping and my feet starting to ache painfully as we slowly descended. We were reaching some of the lower levels of ice. Ice that was thousands if not millions of years old had finally surfaced for the first time in who knows long, and we were seeing it. We made sure to scrape some samples with a chisel as we slowly went down, each sample entering a small vial for analysis when we made it back up. Finally, 45 minutes passed, and we heard shifting in the cables holding us up as finally reached the cavern. I remember one of the geologists saying, We made it. God, this feels like a scene right out of Indiana Jones. It was hard to laugh as the cold kept our mouths shut. Breathing was more painful than a stab wound in this frozen hell. When our flashlights finally flickered on, the walls of this subglacial cavern finally revealed themselves. The neon blue colors flashed vibrantly. It felt surreal. It was almost alien like in just the ice, but the water was where it really shone. It was glowing. When our lights met the water, the algae began to glow amazing colors. I remember seeing hints of blue-green and purple among them. It was one of the most amazing sights I've ever seen, yet thinking about it terrifies me. All these centuries, these algae have lived under this ice sheet untouched. We finally made it to the very bottom and stepped out. The crunching of the ice felt amazing for once. After standing cramped and in the cold on that escalator for close to an hour, you feel amazing just being able to move for once. We split off into two groups, mainly to collect rock samples. It sounded gloomy down there, like everything was slightly muffled. I began to start investigating a small formation of rock. When I heard scampering in the distance, I checked behind me, and weirdly all of us were close by. It wasn't them that made that noise. I started to approach the source each step making me feel anxious as I rounded a small beam of ice. I saw animal prints, small prints like a squirrel, but they weren't normal. I counted six toes and they were far too long. I started to back up as I rushed back over to the group. There's an animal down here. I just heard something and found prints. Phone into home base and tell them. One of my fellow geologists protested, you probably just saw imprints. I bet it was nothing. Before I could lead him to my findings, something else caught my eye. A small sparkle in the distance caught me in a trance. I felt hypnotized. I pointed it out to everyone and they seemed to notice it as well. We quickly rushed over and we found something. I still can't explain to you what this was. Thinking about it makes me sick. All that sat in a small clearing was a pure black box. This thing was darker than void. It was pure black and it made me uneasy looking at it. A low hum was coming from the box, like white noise. What the hell is this? One of the geologists spoke up. Another one spoke. I feel dizzy. What is happening? 
As he said this, I started to feel lightheaded. Was this an attack? What was even happening? As my thoughts raced, a massive flash proceeded to blind me, leaving me to fall. I heard yells and stomping. I couldn't see what was happening, and eventually, I passed out. I woke up, I heard the beeping of a monitor, and knew I was safe. I sighed in relief, but when I could finally see, I started to panic. Three armed guards stood around me. They bared massive machine guns and had really advanced-looking suits on. It was like something straight out of a sci-fi movie. Blue lights pulsated on their alien-like suits as a doctor and a small team started to approach the bed. Hello, my name is Dr. Norman. You are very lucky to have survived, do you know that? I didn't even process what he said before I tried to get up and run. However, I had been restrained down keeping me in place. You have nowhere to go, just listen up and you'll be fine. I finally sighed and nodded, letting him talk. We found you in the subglacial lake IH-1392. You had a burn on your arm and a few cuts and bruises, but really nothing serious. You were the only one there. I then responded, There were three more geologists with me. What happened to them? He sighed, looking at me with a confused expression. We didn't find three others down in that cavern. Only you. You had been there for three hours before we had our rescue squadron come down and recover you. I felt sweat drip down my forehead as I started to think. Before I could really say anything, one of those guards received a call on his radio. I remember what it said because that was the first anomaly I encountered. Mission Control, this is Ramsey. IHG-12 is pursuing your location to Medical FAC-4. Please be advised of its location. Over. I watched as all three guards looked at each other and quickly ran to the doors. The lights began to flicker as I heard extremely fast footsteps above us. The sounds of metal clanking started to become even clearer as I realized something was coming to our location and fast. I heard the guards' radios chirp. IHG-12 is 50 meters away East Hall. Sending in backup now. Please be advised. Over. I started to panic as screams started to fill the halls. I heard the sounds of doors being slammed open and random things falling and shattering on the ground. Finally, the sound reached our door. I watched as something black began to seep under the door. It was a massive, long, unnatural hand. It was pure black like that object we encountered in that subglacial lake. It started to go under the door and up to the handle when one of those guards fired at it. It quickly jerked away and proceeded to cut through him like nothing. That poor man made no sound as his top half began to slowly slide off, like some horror movie. I realized that this was all real when he hit the ground, the sickening thump as the other two armed guards began to fire rapidly, shots going through the door. I immediately started to panic as I looked around. Next to me was a small sliding metal desk with a scalpel resting on a towel. I started to push my arm out and after a few seconds of frantic panic, I was able to drag the table over and grab the scalpel. I started to bend my hand inwards when I heard a massive slam and growl. The door started to bend violently as something on the other side proceeded to start caving it in. Screams started to fill the room as more patients started to wake up. I finally cut through my first restraint, the leather falling apart. In quick succession I cut through the other three. I tried to get up but I realized my legs were numb. No, no! I started to yell realizing if I didn't get up death was guaranteed. I started to drop down slowly crawling. I realized there was no way for me to escape so I did the only logical thing. I hid under the bed. It was a tight fit. And if that thing realized where I was, I wouldn't be able to escape fast enough. The lights began to flicker as the power finally went out. The low hum of the light bulbs fading filled the room as finally the door was off the hinges. I heard the other two guards yell in agony as something had got to them. The room fell silent as anxiety began to cloud my mind. I held my breath. I heard something start approaching slowly. Its footsteps were heavy, and I could see a dark shape start to get closer. It was darker than anything around us, even the darkness itself that had filled the room previous to the power outage. I watched as it stopped right at the foot of my bed. I heard tapping as a small whistle began to fill the room. That thing knew where I was, and it was taunting me. I closed my eyes and prayed, Please save me from the darkness that plagues this room. My mind played over and over as my hands clamped together. Finally, that thing lifted the bed, throwing it to the side. I finally got a good look at it. It was transparent. Even in the dark, I could see that. It had something in its center mass. 
It was. That object we encountered in the lake. This thing had something to do with its appearance down there. Was it back to get me? Hell if I know. I started to panic as it lifted me. Its grip was the coldest thing I've ever felt. I started to yelp in pain as it inspected me. A voice began to slowly creep out from that thing. It was completely unnatural. It sounded like radio static, but I could still understand it. You... You are the one who... Usurped me. That phrase, I can't explain it, but... The way it said it almost seemed sad. I started to panic as that object that resided in that thing began to glow. Before anything happened further, I heard footsteps above. The events that happened after were all so quick. The ceiling began to cave in as five men in heavy-looking suits dropped down. They proceeded to fire something at that entity. It let out a raspy scream as it began to fade, the object residing in its torso finally hitting the ground. I fell to the ground in a blur. I passed out once more from stress and panic. Everything was a blur afterward. I woke up once more. This time I was restrained upwards. I was in a pure white room. I saw monitors and weird instruments pressing into me. Was I being operated on? Finally, after five minutes, three white-coated men entered the room. I recognized one of them. It was Dr. Norman. He opened up right as he entered the room. You've seen what this place is. We can't let you leave it. But you encountered that object firsthand. When you went down to the subglacial lake, I assume you saw that black cube-like anomaly and ended up here, am I correct? I sighed, finally opening up to him. Yeah, that's right, it was three geologists an eye that went down. I saw a shine in the distance, and I approached it, and it flashed. I passed out and ended up here. Dr. Norman wrote down a few things, nodding along. Finally, he said the words that made me both happy and anxious. Release him. The two other coated men came over and undid my restraints. I fell down unable to walk, but I was able to pull myself up, leaning over a monitor. Why am I here? What was that thing? Dr. Norman sighed and gestured for me to come. I gritted my teeth as I slightly shouted at him. I can't walk. Dr. Norman finally gestured to one of the men to go grab something. He came back in a minute later with a wheelchair. I sat down finally able to rest. I began to wheel myself out the door as the white-coated men followed. Dr. Norman began to explain what was happening. The reason you can't walk is due to stress-induced paralysis. Usually when a traumatic event happens, your body weakens. In your case, you have passed out far too many times losing oxygen to the brain. It's nothing serious. You will likely regain the ability to walk soon. I sighed in relief hearing this. I could feel a massive grin forming on my face. We reached a massive white hallway. There were massive glass windows indicating rooms. I wheeled past some and saw people in medical beds. Some were conscious, some were asleep, but some were bandaged up. I assumed they were victims of the attack I had experienced prior. I asked the burning question as we slowly traversed the halls. What was that thing I saw? Why did it let me live? Dr. Norman sighed, avoiding the question. I started to feel more anxious as we approached the end of the hall. Bring him to Sector Apnus Nova, Dr. Norman spoke to the men as he walked off. One of the men began to speak. Hello, I'm Nurse Alexander. I will be your primary caretaker as of now. We are currently bringing you to a new sector for transfer. Any questions? I shook my head as the clanking of metal echoed through the halls. A massive metal door opened in the wall. What was strange was, the door had been hidden, like it had no visible way of being opened on the side we were facing and it seemed to be built into the wall. I started to panic. Was I about to end up in a prison? Was I going to be tortured? Hell if I know, but I was going to find out. As we slowly approached through this new sector, the sound of electrical tools began to echo throughout. I saw a small window up ahead and frantically wheeled up to it. Inside I saw a man. He was covered in a black gown and had a bag over his head. Another man who stood in the room was gurgling in pain. This was torture. What the hell? I yelled as I finally found the strength to stand. I immediately turned to Alexander, sending a fist right to his jaw. As I made the connection, I heard stomping come my way as someone yelled, Get on the ground now! It was another one of those heavily armed guards. He had a strange weapon pointing right at my head. I put my hands up and he approached me, putting one of those black bags over my head. I started to plead, please, no, stop, I'm sorry. But it was too late. I felt myself get dragged into one of those rooms where that man was yelling. I felt myself get put onto a table and tied down. 
Finally, the bag was removed and I saw a man in a black robe with a face mask. He was holding what seemed to be a sharp object, but I couldn't be sure as he began to turn me on my back. I felt my body quiver as the sharp object was put to my back. He started to carve something into it. I screamed in agony, begging him to stop. I thought I was going to be done for. After around two minutes of crying, screaming, and begging, he stopped and stood me up. I couldn't fight back, I was simply too weak. He brought me over to a mirror resting in the room and forced me to turn around. He had carved a symbol into my back. It had the initials Anne and had a circle surrounding it. I had this now permanent scar sitting on my back and I didn't even know what it meant. However, I started to connect the dots. Anne stood for Apnus Nova. They must have been putting me into their organization instead of offing me. I felt slight relief, but the pain was still unbearable. Finally, he put some sort of clear liquid on the wound and a sharp pain filled my body. I fell to my knees screaming. It was horrific. The man in the robe lifted me and brought me out of the room. The liquid was still burning my horrific wound, but the pain was starting to fade slightly. I was brought again into another white room, however there were desks and computers displayed. It took a moment for me to realize what it was. It was an observatory. People in white coats entered the room and started to work on the computers. A massive screen started to come out from the ceiling. I started to investigate it. All I saw was a trail of dust. I realized we were getting an aerial view from what I could assume was a fighter jet following something. Finally something came into view. It was. A house. A plain house. Like something straight out of the countryside, but it was straight up in the middle of nowhere. Three men entered the room. They were armed as well. They began to approach me. Finally, one stuck their hand out to shake mine. I'm Lieutenant Salvador. I will be assisting you on your first anomaly interference. You likely just came out of the branding process. Don't worry, the pain fades quickly. We will be bringing you to the locker room to get your gear. Rage boiled inside of me as I slapped his hand away. What the hell do you mean anomaly interference? I don't want part in this. I want to go home. He clicked his fingers and the two men dragged me out of the room, bringing me outside. They finally let me go as Lieutenant Salvador approached me. If you don't cooperate, then well, termination will be key. I shook my head. Please, please, don't take me. I swear I won't say a word about this. We can't take that risk. Just follow us. We assure you this isn't as bad as you would think it is. I tried to step away, but they grabbed me, bringing me with them. As I followed along, more armed guards became visible. We must have been entering the armory. I could hear the sounds of weapons being loaded as I got closer. Finally, we entered. The scent of sweat and grit filled the air. It reminded me of a men's locker room. I was shoved in front of a locker and told to grab what was in it and put it on. When I opened the locker, I saw a black military uniform, a handgun, and a small machine gun. It's crazy how quickly I went from being in a hospital bed to being a part of this massive organization so quickly. It felt surreal holding a gun. I wasn't getting any training, unless this mission was the training. Looking back, it makes sense. After getting fully dressed, I was escorted out and brought to a room. What sat there was a seat with a massive device hanging overhead. It looked like some form of execution device. I sat down and my hands were restrained. The device then started to beep as it moved around. My hands were then forced to face palm up as the device went above them. I watched as a red light flashed. Small lasers started to cover my fingertips. They were burning my fingerprints off. What the hell was this? The pain was agonizing. I had to hold in screams as my fingerprints were eventually wiped. I sighed in exhaustion as the restraints released. I was brought back up and escorted through the white halls of Apnus Nova. Many armed guards joined the escort as we finally entered a military hangar. I finally got a look outside. We were still in Antarctica. I was honestly surprised. It was quite warm in the facility. A man in a beret and military uniform came out of a massive plane and stood facing us. He now began speaking. To all new recruits, I am Captain Diaz. You are currently on a mission to investigate the anomaly VS-65. You will be getting orders from your group leaders. We have four groups as of now, Delta, Bravo, Omega, and Epsilon. Boarding begins ETA five minutes. You may take time to prepare and question. Good luck, soldiers. I nodded, feeling slightly more comfortable in good hands. All these heavily armed guards around me assured me I was safe. But after seeing what that thing did in that medical bay... 
God, I just couldn't shake off a feeling of sour and sad. As I stood there, one of the soldiers approached me. Hey, my name is Nolan. I was told it's your first mission. Don't worry, man. My first mission was fun. I'll make sure to help you out if you need it. I nodded as I put on a warm smile. Thanks, man. I've been pretty nervous about it. Ah, uh, no problem. You'll be fine, he remarked. He pats my shoulder, reassuring me. It felt good having a friend in this. Just as I was about to say something, sirens went off, signaling takeoff. Everyone boarded, and we went with our respective groups. I was a part of Omega. We sat down, and our group leaders started to explain this anomaly we would be dealing with. VS-65 is a hostile anomaly located in a redacted remote area of Nevada. We will be approaching it and investigating it. The flight is expected to last three hours, so get comfortable. People started to chat among themselves as I sat back. The feeling of sleepiness began to overtake me as I dozed off. The sound of rubber scraping along something rough awoke me. We must have landed. We were instructed to hop out in a single file line and await orders, and so that's what we did. As I stepped out, the hot landscape of Nevada overtook me. Sweat began to form under my suit, but I ignored it. In the distance, I could see that house. It had an ominous aura, just looking at it. I began to sweat harder as our group leader spoke. We will be one of two groups entering the anomaly VS-65. We will be assisted along with Epsilon. I had no clue what I was getting into. One of the group leaders came by with a duffel bag and handed each of us a device. It looked like a camera, however it was white and covered in a curved plastic shell on each side. What is this? I remarked. He spoke back. That is a monoallocator. It's a single lens device used to scan through walls. If an anomaly is detected, we use them to identify its position. I understood, but at the same time, I was confused. I shook it off, shrugging as we began to approach the house. Each step made me feel sick as we finally reached the door. All ten of our group members lined up at the door as our two largest guards proceeded to bust down the door. The splintering of wood and clanking of metal echoed in the house as we entered it. I don't know how to explain it. The house was simply impossible. The interior was way too clean, but that wasn't what made it weird. It was too large for the outside. Like when we walked in, it reminded me of a mansion, while the outside was a single-story hut. Not to mention there was a second floor. I felt physically ill as we began to investigate. I stood with Nolan as we looked around. Epsilon followed along with us as we cleared each room. Nolan and I went up the second floor stairs and that's when I heard it. It sounded like something metal hitting the floor over and over. That's when I pulled out my mono allocator. I didn't know how it operated but I gave it a go. And surprisingly it worked. I could see through the walls and what I saw. God. Even for a second. It felt like it fried my brain. I saw rooms small rooms. However, inside those rooms sat another room. This cascaded endlessly. I started to hyperventilate, but I just couldn't keep my eyes off this anomaly, this infinite series of rooms. Then I noticed someone inside them. It was me. I just sat there in those rooms, standing perfectly still. I let out a gasp. Those things, me, turned to look right at me. I immediately dropped the device as I backed away. What the hell was this? Was it a nightmare? I started to vomit as Nolan came over. Don't! Don't look! It's me! He looked confused as he picked up the device. No! I screamed at him. He spoke but nothing came out. I realized I couldn't hear anything. I felt something wet run down my nose. It was blood. Nolan proceeded to use the monoallocator, and he immediately started to scream. He threw the device away. It was chilling seeing him scream and no sound came out. I started to feel rumbling as I looked above us. The ceiling started to crack as something massive broke through. It was. A hand. The ceiling opened up and an eye looked through. I recognized it. It was my eye. That thing started to rip the ceiling apart as both Nolan and I screamed in terror. I felt stomping as Epsilon and the rest of our group approached. They were saying things but we couldn't hear them. They didn't seem scared. I realized they couldn't see what we were seeing. Finally I shouted something. Above. Us. They all murmured among each other as they picked us up. They brought us out, but that was when the scariest thing I have ever experienced as a part of this organization happened to me. When we left the house, I couldn't see the sky. It was pure black. No stars or anything. Very slowly, something came into view. It was a white light. 
It came right in front of me and said four words that frightened me so bad I fell into a deep coma afterward. It said, Apnus Nova usurps us. That's when I realized what this organization was. These were experiments. None of this was real. I was simply being forced through this. Nolan wasn't real. Dr. Norman wasn't real. Hell, I doubt even I was real at that moment. And the way I knew? Because I watched that light phase through this simulated universe I had been put in. I watched it literally fly through the fabrics of this horror I was put through. I saw the lines of binary code display themselves as it came to say that to me. This was all an experiment. Why me? Why? They realized that I had figured it out and took me off the device immediately. When I finally woke up, years had passed. It wasn't 2012 anymore. It was 2019. I had suffered for seven years in a matter of half a day. I don't know what's real even now. I've worked at Apnus Nova ever since then. I've put people into the same device I was put through that day. I've seen people who were kidnapped like I was to be put through this. None of what you experience is real. You could be experiencing the Apnus Nova effect right now, and you wouldn't know. And as for those anomalies, those are real. I've dealt with them time and time again. The Nevada House effect is the code name for a simulated universe in this facility. My family is gone now. They know I've been revealing these things and have decided to take the spiteful direction to enforce my silence. But I choose not to. Apnus Nova usurps us. I'd always been drawn to history, to stories etched in time like the grooves in an old record. The apartment, nestled in a building that had seen more decades than I had, promised me that. A living, breathing piece of the past, a secret whispered in hushed tones. It was old, it was tired, but it was mine. The first time I walked through its doors, I could almost hear the symphony of life it once hosted. A tapestry of time spun out in creaking floorboards and weathered brick. The excitement was palpable, like bubbles in my veins. A childlike giddiness that took me back to days of yore when a cardboard box was a castle and a blanket, an invisibility cloak. The days were a whirlwind of moving boxes and adjusting to new sounds. The hum of the refrigerator, the whisper of the wind through the slightly ajar window, an orchestra of newness that was slowly becoming familiar. But as night fell and the city outside grew quiet, something shifted. A cold, prickling sensation spread down my spine, like icy fingers dancing on my skin. My breath seemed louder, echoing off the silent walls, and the apartment, which seemed so full of life in the sunlight, turned into a different beast in the shroud of darkness. It was the bathroom that first made my heart stutter. I remember the flickering light overhead casting long, distorted shadows. The mirror, foggy from the steam of the hot shower, reflected a world that felt slightly off-kilter, and then I saw it. In the mirror, a figure, as ethereal as smoke, loomed behind me, a shapeless shadow woven from the threads of the night itself. My heart pounded, an echo of fear against the stark silence of the apartment. I spun around, half expecting to see a stranger in my bathroom, a faceless intruder, but there was nothing. Just the bathroom tiles, dripping with condensation, and my reflection, staring back at me, wide-eyed and ashen-faced. I forced a laugh, chalking it up to fatigue, a trick of the light, maybe. But the laugh came out hollow, like a drum with a hole, the echo of unease tainting the forced humor. I turned off the light, the darkness of the bathroom swallowing the remnants of the figure. I crawled into my bed that night, pulling the covers up to my chin, my heart still echoing the rhythm of fear in the hollow cavern of my chest. I willed sleep to take over, hoping the morning light would bring back the comforting symphony of the apartment. But as I closed my eyes, the darkness behind my lids was filled with the shadow in the mirror. The whispering dread that curled around my heart promised me that this was just the beginning. Something had awoken in the apartment, something that had lain dormant in the heart of the building, waiting, watching. And it had seen me. And so, in my new home, nestled in a sea of forgotten memories, my life took an ominous turn, but what I didn't know then was just how deeply the shadow from the mirror would come to taint everything I held dear. The days after my first encounter with the shadow passed in a haze of fear and forced denial. The whispering dread had now grown into a deafening roar. I dismissed it as the stress of the move, 
the unfamiliar surroundings playing tricks on my mind. But the specter in the bathroom mirror was no figment of an overactive imagination. It was as real as the chill that descended upon my apartment each night, as tangible as the icy tendrils that crawled under my skin, sending shivers down my spine. Every fleeting glimpse of movement in my peripheral vision brought with it a chill of apprehension, a tightening knot in my stomach that refused to loosen. The shadows, they moved when they had no right to, creeping and crawling at the edges of my vision, but whenever I turned to face them, they'd retreat into the safety of the corners, lurk within the dim light thrown by my solitary lamp. One night, sleep a distant memory, I decided to face my fears, to confront the shadows that toyed with my sanity. Armed with a flashlight, I turned my apartment into a battlefield. Each room I entered, every inch of space I illuminated, became my domain, claimed from the entity that had infected my sanctuary. But the deeper I delved, the more unsettling the shadows became. They weren't just figments dancing in the corners of my eyes. They were etched into the very walls of the apartment. Strange symbols that my flashlight revealed, symbols that crawled under my skin, symbols that whispered in languages I could not understand, and the smell, an acrid, sour scent, like burnt sugar and decay, clung to the back of my throat. It was the smell of time, of dust, of the old and forgotten, things best left undisturbed. It invaded my senses, a constant reminder of the dark presence in my home. It was then I returned to the epicenter of my dread, the bathroom. The mirror hung above the sink, reflecting the muted light in a mockery of normalcy. I could almost laugh, were it not for the pounding heartbeat that threatened to shatter the silence. I forced myself to look, to confront the reflection that had taken on a life of its own. The flashlight's beam landed on the mirror, throwing my tired, fear-stricken face into sharp relief. And there it was. Not behind me this time, but on me. A grin stretched across my reflection's face, a grin that did not belong to me. Sinister and out of place, it carved a ghastly curve on the face that should have been mine, perverting it into a grotesque mask. The shock sent me stumbling back, flashlight slipping from my trembling fingers. But even in the darkness, the sinister grin remained, etched into my vision, a promise of more to come. It was no longer confined to the shadows, no longer a fleeting figure in the corners of my eyes. It had claimed my reflection. The battle I had hoped to win was already lost. The shadow was no longer a specter in the mirror. It was inside my home, inside me, and it was beginning to show its true face. My heart pounded in my chest like a hammer against an anvil, each beat echoing the terror that had wrapped itself around me. The grin on my reflection was a hollow mockery of joy, a gruesome caricature that seemed to distort the very air around it. But that wasn't the worst of it. It was the eyes. My reflection's eyes, once mirroring my own fear, had changed. They were voids, devoid of warmth, of life. They were black pits that seemed to swallow the light around them, turning the world into a void as cold and desolate as the moon's surface. In a moment of horror and fascination, I reached out to touch the mirror, my hand trembling, guided by a morbid curiosity. I expected my fingers to meet the cold, solid surface of the glass. But as I reached closer, my reflection mirrored my movements, its hand rising to meet mine. Its fingers, a ghastly negative of my own, reached through the barrier of glass and brushed against my skin. The touch was colder than ice, and a shock of electricity ran up my arm. I jerked my hand back, stumbling away from the mirror. But it was too late. The connection had been made. From then on, things spiraled quickly. Every reflective surface I passed, a car mirror, a window, the shiny surface of a spoon, offered a glimpse of the entity. It was there, watching me, mocking me. It had taken my image, wearing it like a cloak, twisting it to its own nightmarish design. It mimicked me, every step, every gesture, a silent puppet show that left me cold. Sleep became a vague memory, an unreachable luxury. The fear of closing my eyes, of surrendering to the darkness, kept me awake. Every blink was a mini blackout, a moment in which the entity could reach out again, seize me, swallow me whole. The once comforting haven of my apartment had turned into a prison, the walls closing in on me. The strange symbols on the walls pulsed with an unnatural energy, a constant reminder of the entity's presence. The acrid smell was stronger now, 
a scent of malevolence that hung heavy in the air. But it was the mirror that became the epicenter of my terror. I could feel it pulsating with a dark energy, like a heart beating in time with the fear coursing through my veins. It had transformed from a simple reflective surface into a gateway to another, darker realm, a realm where my monstrous doppelganger existed. As I stood in front of the mirror once again, I realized I was not just up against an entity from another realm. I was battling my own reflection, my own fears, my own nightmares, all twisted into a terrifying reality. The mirror had become a sinister reminder of my worst fears come to life, and the entity, a shadow in the reflection, a grotesque mockery of my existence. Its cold, ghostly fingers had reached out to me, blurring the line between our worlds, making me question what was real and what was merely a reflection. In the grip of this unspeakable horror, I reached out for help. Paranormal experts, they called themselves. People who dwelled in the realms of the unexplainable, of ghosts and ghouls and spirits that crossed the barriers of our world. I clung on to their promise of salvation, desperate for the nightmare to end. They warned me that mirrors were more than simple reflective surfaces. They were portals, gateways that allowed spirits to cross into our realm. And the entity in my mirror was no ordinary spirit. It was a malevolent force, a parasitic shadow feeding off my fear. Breaking the connection was nearly impossible, they said. But there was a way, a dangerous and uncertain way, to trap the entity back within the mirror, to seal it with incantations, symbols, and rituals older than the building I was living in. We prepared for the ritual. The apartment, once filled with the echo of life, was now a battleground, a maze of chalk-drawn symbols, burning candles, and the sharp tang of sage. That night was a blur of chance and pulsing energy. The experts guided me through the ritual, their voices a monotonous drone that seemed to echo from miles away. As they chanted, I felt a deep shiver run through me. The mirror trembled, the air thickened, and the energy in the room coalesced, throbbing like a living heart. And there it was, my reflection, its hollow eyes and that vile, haunting grin staring back at me. But as the incantations echoed around the room, the grin began to fade, receding back into the darkness from which it had emerged. Slowly, painfully, I felt the icy grip of the entity loosen. Its hold on my reflection, my life, started to wane. The shadow was being drawn back, trapped within the confines of the mirror. With one final surge of energy, the room plunged into silence. The mirror was just a mirror again, reflecting my wide-eyed, exhausted face. The relief was immediate, a heavy weight lifted from my shoulders. But the fear lingered, a phantom pain, a reminder of the battle that had raged within the confines of my apartment, within me. The paranormal experts left, leaving behind a quiet that was almost deafening. I was alone once again, alone with the mirror that had become my tormentor. But the malevolent entity was gone, sealed within the mirror. Victory tasted bitter, laced with the lingering fear that had soaked into the very walls of my apartment. The symbols remained, reminders of the otherworldly battle, and the acrid smell of the spirit world lingered in the air. I had survived. I had fought, battled an entity from another realm, and emerged victorious. But I was changed, marked by the shadow that had tainted my reflection, my life. I had glimpsed into the void, into a darkness that lurks beneath the surface of our world, and I was forever scarred. The nightmare was over, but the echo of fear remained. Life after the haunting was a haunted life. Every mirror I passed, every reflective surface I saw, was tainted with the memory of the ghastly grin, the hollow eyes, the creeping shadows. The entity was gone, sealed within the mirror, but its echoes reverberated in the caverns of my mind, a haunting lullaby that left me shaken. The mirrors of my apartment were covered now, shrouded in thick cloth as if in mourning. I had hoped it would silence the echoes, still the trembling fear, but the silence was as unsettling as the shadow's presence had been. It was the fear of the unseen, the fear of the lurking dread that lay just beyond the veil of reality, waiting, watching, biding its time to break free once more. I knew it was out there. The mirror had been a doorway, a breach in the barrier between our worlds, and if one entity had found its way through, what was stopping others? I saw them sometimes, in the quiet hours of the night, shadows dancing at the edge of my vision. 
Were they remnants of the entity, echoes of the haunting, or were they something else? Something darker, waiting for its chance to strike. Sleep was an elusive companion, fear a constant one. My dreams, when they dared to venture forth, were filled with twisted versions of my reflection, echoes of the malevolent entity that had infected my life. I awoke from these nightmares gasping, the taste of fear sour in my mouth, the chilling touch of the entity still palpable on my skin. Despite it all, life went on, a bleak semblance of normalcy creeping into my daily routine. The apartment was quiet, the walls no longer pulsating with an unseen energy, the mirrors no longer housing a spectral tenant. But the scars of my battle remained. They were etched deep within me, invisible marks that shaped my existence. I carried them with me, a constant reminder of the fear I had lived, the darkness I had battled. One night the quiet was unbearable. I uncovered one of the mirrors, a desperate need for normalcy driving me. My reflection stared back, a tired man worn thin by fear. There was no sinister grin, no hollow eyes, just me. But as I stared into my own eyes, I felt a shiver of recognition, a chilling familiarity. The mirror seemed to pulse once, a faint echo of the sinister energy it once held. My heart pounded in my chest, the haunting dread washing over me. And then I saw it. In the edge of the mirror, a shadow moved. Not my shadow, but something else. It was there for just a moment, a fleeting whisper of the darkness. But it was enough. Enough to remind me that the battle was far from over. The shadows were receding, but they were still there, lurking in the corners, watching, waiting, waiting for the day they would reclaim me, for the day they would break free once more. The shadow in the reflection was gone, but its memory remained, and I knew with a dreadful certainty that I would never be free. The entity may have been trapped, but the darkness, the real darkness, was still out there and it was only a matter of time before it returned. Okay, so this happened when I was 21. I'm currently 27. Back then I believed that I made a rookie mistake, but have since learned my lesson and have taken precautions so that this doesn't happen again. I'm an avid mountain biker. Ever since I was about 13, Fourteen, I've always loved riding on the trails. It was good exercise, but I mostly liked to just listen to music and pedal. Never tried to time myself on a particular trail or anything. All I really did was keep track of my miles. So I remember this one day in particular. It may sound a tad bit far-fetched, so I welcome skepticism with open arms. I'm simply trying to get this off of my chest, and hopefully, it's a wake-up call for anyone that was as trusting as I was. So I decided to go on a day ride at this one spot. I had been there before, but it wasn't one of my go-to trails, so I wasn't super familiar with it. I was familiar enough with it, though, to where I would be okay going down the trails I had done in the past. So, upon getting there, I was getting my pack ready. I met this one girl that was doing the same. We started talking and hit it off pretty well. At the time, she honestly seemed like someone I could be friends with. She introduced me to her boyfriend, who was also a mountain biker. Once again, no red flags. Very friendly. They seemed to have a very healthy relationship. They both seemed to be about my age, ballpark, give or take. They asked me if I wanted to take a ride with them down their favorite trail. I didn't see any harm in it, plus I wanted to learn the area better for potential future rides. So the trail was one that I had never been on before. The two of them were also faster than me. Like a lot faster. I never backed down from a challenge. I kept up, albeit probably being about 10 feet behind them the whole time. We stopped briefly to take a water break, and I noticed that the girl had strategically left her backpack open, like she closed it, but then opened it back up a little bit. Seemed harmless then, but makes more sense now. Without any sort of warning, and while I was taking a bathroom break in the trees, the two of them started laughing and took off. I was in a compromised position so I had to hurry up and conclude my business to be able to catch them. By the time I made it back to my bike, they were both completely out of sight, not to mention both of my tires had been slashed. I was stranded. I sat down for about 10 minutes to decide what I was going to do. The sun was at peak capacity, and I remember feeling extremely lightheaded, though I'm pretty sure this was related to shock. I grabbed my bike and started walking down the trail. After about 15 minutes of walking, 
I came across a wire on the trail. It was tied onto two smaller trees. Had I been riding, that could have easily slit my neck. But the fact that they went through the trouble of slashing my tires made me question this. I hadn't seen them, so this may or may not have been them, or they could have potentially left it there to try and snare another rider. I honestly don't know, and don't much think about that part anymore. The what-its makes the whole thing more frustrating. Regardless, I used my Swiss army knife to remove the wire. I wasn't about to go any further down the trail, so I pushed my bike in the opposite direction that I came from. Close to six miles later, I made it back to my car. There's a bike rental shop nearby that I stopped at and asked them about the two. I gave them a description of the two, but wasn't able to give them enough to have them identified. They offered to call the police, but after the day I had, I just wanted to go home. I do regret this, because over the years, I had always wondered if they did this to anyone else. I did feel a level of guilt over this. I have never been back to that trail. I'm still a mountain biker, but I quit going alone since then. Thankfully, my husband is a fellow mountain biker, and I always have a buddy. Please stay safe, everyone, and don't always trust a pretty face.